live from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. The Leadership Hour. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Ikhsan Higgins here with the Leadership Hour. And I'll be with you for the next almost two hours. We're going to be up till nine o'clock. Got a very good profile, I mean, a, a program tonight. And um, yeah, we've, we're speaking um, in, in the Leadership Hour, we're speaking to a very special person up in uh, from Gauteng. Um, he is actually a, a businessman and entrepreneur, but I'll tell you more about who he is. His name is uh, Adil Nchabaleng. He will be joining us uh, for the first session up to Lishai. And then we'll have a, a lady who's doing a whole lot of empowerment for ladies uh, on the Cape Flats. Um, her name is uh, Hanifa Jaba, and we're going to talk to her just after Ishai. And after that, we are going to talk to uh, Faisal Bardin, as usual, and uh, Nazir Parker in the legal hour. And with Faisal, I'm going to focus more on meeting procedure, especially in, in committee meetings, mosque meetings. We're going to talk about meeting procedure and protocol, because I think, you know, our community, that's something that they're struggling with, you know, and what the legalities are in respect of meeting protocol. And of course, chairmen and secretaries and treasurers, they are welcome to ask questions via the WhatsApp line, and we're going to try to answer it, you know, whilst myself and Faisal are discussing it. Nazir Park will also be joining us, and we're going to be talking about a very new case that has come up in the last three days, I think, and uh, it's, it deals with dogs and what the owner's responsibility is in respect of dogs and uh, the type of liability that you will attract should your dog, your dog uh, bite or like, you know, cause harm to anyone. But okay, so we got uh, Adil Nchabaleng on the line. Assalamualaikum Adil, are you with us? Waalaikum salam and thank you so much. Yeah, shukran for agreeing to, to, to come on air with us, uh, you know, all the way from Gauteng and I mean, it was very fortunate that you were in Cape Town uh, in the latter part of last week. And, of course, I had the opportunity to catch up with you a little bit. And Adil, Absolutely. Yeah, Adil, so just to tell the listeners a little bit, you know, who you are and what you're going to be talking about. Adil is going to talk about the issue of uh, the economy in South Africa, you know, what's happening to the economy. I think everybody's worried at the moment about the economy of South Africa. We've been getting very much negative news, uh, you know, in the wake of corruption, in the wake of COVID, in the wake of uh, being downgraded uh, as a country. So Adil is going to take us through that, but a little bit about Adil. Adil, when, when I asked for your profile, I really expected maybe about three or four lines, but I mean, I've got two pages here. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, I knew, of course, that you were very, very highly qualified, but I had no idea that you, uh, you know, you were involved with so many things. Uh, at the moment, you're the chairman of the Whitford Group, based in Sandton. You're also uh, involved with economic risk research and advisory and strategy. 
you are also um uh you, you you studied law at some point in time so of course you know it's nice uh, to know that you have a good command of that but of course you 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 went with your with your gut and, and became an entrepreneur and made things happen uh you know in the in the economic field and in the business world so uh and of course i must pay homage to the fact that you are also a crown prince and that you are of the Bapedi Babina Tau, of the, of the <coughs> Royal Tau in Chabaleng, and that is the platinum heartland of the Limpopo province, is correct? Absolutely. And I hope I said it correctly. Uh, the no, you the said it ex- correctly. <laughs> you know, most people don't even ever say the whole full name. They just say the Chabaleng tribe. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Now, I think, uh, you know, one, one must pay homage, you know, especially when you're speaking to a crown prince. And, Adil, you are also, uh, you're also part of a Sufi movement in uh, in Gauteng. Is, is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And whose tutelage was that, if I may ask? I was quite uh, privileged. Um, over 30 years ago, I, I actually was still a student at the time very young and and very searching for really what is light and illumination and uh, i i stumbled upon the writings of a man called uh, sheikh fadlala hayri and uh, he's been an inspiration since then i mean he's influenced my whole life since really you know my teen my teenage years leading up to my almost now you know almost my 50s and he has been a figure in my life throughout. So I, I'm actually following the Sufi Sosela and Tariqa that is currently being uh, taught by Sheikh Fadlala Hayri, which is based on uh, yeah. Yeah, well, of course, uh, it's always nice to, 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 to know, you know, that uh, that the brothers are, ups, uh, are very strong up there in, in Gauteng. And I mean, when we speak to the Gauteng Muslims, uh, we normally just speak to the, the members of the ulama, and uh, and not members of the of the business community. So, uh, so I'm actually quite pleased. So, Adil, if you can, uh, if we can jump into it, because we obviously only have until Ishai, which is about in 20 minutes' time, we're going to break for it. So, if you can give us a little bit of insight into where we are at. In South Africa right now in respect of the economy um, the, the current economy in South Africa we are in a very very disturbingly bleak state of the economy why I'm saying disturbingly so is over the last four or five months since the country has almost halted to a grand uh, standstill people have lost jobs people are currently losing homes cars, they are losing, you know, possessions, jewelry has been sold at the rate that we have never seen in South Africa. People are cashing in a lot of their pensions, savings are being depleted, you know, the, the, I mean, the, the current food inflation within the economy, it has, it's at scales and economic levels that we have never seen before. The food inflation prices have risen over three times the value of a food commodity. I mean, I used to buy something as simple as a, a ginger for less than, uh, what, uh, 49 rand. Today is selling at almost 150 rand a gram. 
mm. you know, uh, you know, hundred gram or something, and it's it's expensive. I mean, it's something that is no longer affordable to the ordinary masses. So you come to that situation where you realize that what we used to buy one root of ginger, I would get it for almost ten rands at the time. Mm-hmm. Today I have to buy that one root at fifty rands minimum. That just tells you the scenario where we're sitting at. Food prices have gone astronomically high. Mm-hmm. Jobs are being shared. Over the first month of lockdown during uh, March, end of March, April, we've seen almost 4 million jobs on an official level, you know, official statistics, being completely slashed down, companies shutting down. Some companies never reopened. So we're looking at almost a million, about 8 million to 9 million of informal and formal jobs that were lost in the economy. Minimum. Adil, just this, uh, I mean, that's shocking, actually. Of course, we're talking about that numbers. But prior to lockdown, we also sat at about maybe 16 million jobs that were not there, people that were unemployed to the tune of 16 million. Is, is that correct? Absolutely. So those numbers have now almost doubled. We're sitting at almost, you know, from 16 million of unemployed people, now you're additional of that. There's about 25 million in official statistics now that are unemployed. We are not even talking about the 29% of the total population of 57 million people. No. Now that 29% has scaled up to over 50% plus of unemployment in the country. People who had official, you know, income jobs, who had, you know, full-time employment, who had informal businesses and trade, most of them have gone down. Mm. There's no more incomes in the economy, and everybody else is living on either savings, they are living off either their retirement annuity or income of some form, or they are living off some form of an asset or property that had to be literally liquidated or sold in order to make some money. We are just going to go on a quick ad break. Please stay on the line. When we come back, I would like to hear a little bit more about the, the, the unemployment statistics. The Leadership Hour. And we are back with the Leadership Hour. I've got Mr. Uh, Adil Jabaling on the line with me from Gauteng. And uh, he's uh, obviously talking about the, uh, for those that have listened, we're talking about the state of the economy in South Africa. And Adil has just reminded us currently of the unemployment stats. So Adil, continue please. Yeah, and uh, just taking it back from the, the, the current unemployment statistics, Unemployment is the biggest indicator in risk in a country because if you lose jobs, most likely is those jobs are not going to be replaced again unless they are in the new sectors or in the new economy, etc. Which means people are going to go off without a job for a year or two plus at a given point of time. With the South African situation, it's worse because a lot of people are already living on the brink of uh, uh, you know, poverty, unemployment and, and joblessness. And the level of inequality is so high <clears throat> that when one individual loses an income, it affects over 10 direct people in their life. With those 10 direct people, almost about, it's estimated that about 70 to 90 people are directly impacted by that particular loss of an income because one person consumes goods, services, as well as, uh, uh, you know, anything that is produced in the economy. Plus, they contribute towards the GDP. 
you know, the gross domestic product production of what we actually come to term our economy. Whether they're buying, selling, they're making something, they're creating, you know, they're reproducing, you know, value within the economy, they're trading, you know, they're doing savings, a whole lot of range of activities. And then coming to our situation is money is only made within an economy when you create value, either be a service, buy a product, creating something, offering your time, offering your value, offering capital to reproduce money. So if there is no income earning, it means a lot of other auxiliary services directly and indirectly linked to a person's life are all impacted upon. Which were the quickest businesses that went down? Mainly the services business that depended on individuals and families consuming. Mm-hmm. The most, if you look at what we used to buy, say, five, six months ago before COVID, right? It was gifts. It was services like your hairdressing, like your you know, clothing, a whole lot of uh, ranges around food, eateries, eating out, spending, socializing time outside, gifts. And uh, you're looking at services like luxurious goods and, you know, buying up new cars, going into new apartments, homes, etc. Mm-hmm. Post the COVID period that we just came out of now, which is we're still in a COVID uh, level two lockdown. Most of the businesses, after they were all locked down and shut down with the economy, one, the travel and tourism industry has completely halted, has come to a grind. You can see Cape Town, the streets are almost empty. Day traffic is like a ghost traffic. You know, it's like there really is nobody on the roads. In town, most of the shops, seven out of ten shops are closed down. Mm-hmm. You go around the streets, those who used to be hawkers, people who would actually be available to assist, provide services, are no longer available, which means everybody else is back at home. Either they're still in a lockdown level two, or they don't have money to move around, or they're just sitting waiting for a phone call for a new opportunity to come about. So a lot of people have been laid off even though we don't see it. Remember, 80% plus of our population is already poor. So if out of that 80%, say the really sort of 10 million people of that become unemployed out of a population of a minimum of 57 million people, you're not going to feel the impact immediately because in that number, there are those who are sitting at home, there are those who took packages and still have some money to spend, so they will still be available to move around and do some few things. But the knockdown effect of it is we have eroded over five to seven years of economic value in a matter of five months cycle. So whatever we've made over the last five, seven years, we've eroded it and it's completely diminished because of no longer the ability to create more on top of the money that you've created. So the, the state of the economy is extremely worrying. The poverty levels, the levels of diseases that are going to come out post the COVID period is going to be alarming. And that is why a lot of people were dying during the COVID season and period. And the medical science just came up with a report. They found out that most of them died out of comorbidity-related illnesses. Heart attacks, uh, you know, uh, heart palpitations, you know, uh, aspect of, uh, you know, uh, current existing conditions, cancer, and all of that, because those services were not available. Hospitals were literally locked down to only admit COVID-related patients. So everybody else who was on the line for a heart bypass, 
you know, an operation, a surgery, most of that were completely overlooked. So and I'm assuming, I'm assuming, uh, Adil, that you're speaking about the uh, the public hospitals, not the private hospitals. Both of them were actually locked down. Most of them. Okay. They even locked down the public, the private hospitals, because a section of most of the public hospitals, private hospitals, during the first two three months, were on a hard lockdown level, which means because there was a fear that there would be cross contamination within the hospital environment, they were not allowed to be taking in inpatients. Mm-hmm. Which means surgeries, uh, performances of uh, the, you know extreme you know uh, required uh, operations were put on a hold, which meant the case levels rose up, went up, and to a point where people couldn't cope. And again, by the nature of what we are over going through, stress levels increases the level of aspect of catching virus and virology issues. So that is why there was such a huge alarming number of people passing away. Mm. including within the COVID season. It's a combination of the two factors that has caused the highest level stress itself, the isolation level, the level that people couldn't actually continue servicing their current given illnesses. Caused a lot of that strife. Adil, you know, based on the fact that we don't have a lot of time, I mean, I understand the fact that, you know what, we are in a pretty bad situation in terms of employment, in terms of, uh, um, you know, just the general state. We are at post-COVID. In fact, it's not really post. We're still on level level two, but uh, hopefully, inshallah, we're going to get past that soon. Where do you see the the opportunity for growth and and to get us out of this abyss? The current opportunities are sitting in the, what we would call the new economy. We have to go into an aggressive state of revitalization of sectors that were lost during the lockdown period, revitalization of new opportunities that can actually be made within the production economy, manufacturing particularly, which you can make quite a lot of value. We've seen with the opportunities that we are totally dependent on imports. So as a country strategically and even at the political level, the political leaders have to now push on ensuring that South Africa has its own dependence and independence from other countries in terms of food, in terms of supply of medical, in terms of components, electronics, technology, anything that is imported at the bulk level. We must start making sure that we have it locally so that if, for instance, another outbreak of a virus hits us, there is an ability to be self-dependent. You don't have to now be suffering, waiting for imports coming out of. Uh, okay, China now, Adil, I, I want to examine. US. I want to examine that a little bit. I mean, we have a culture in the Cape, especially, of our mothers, our grandmothers, who, who actually seamstresses, who worked in the factory, um, mm, the textiles, yeah, in the textile industries. I mean, my mother was also uh, working in the textile industry, and um, now they have skills. And um, yet, what we saw was a mass import of things like masks. And yeah. I mean, we have, I mean, I was at the factory in, um, in Johnson Road, and uh, they were producing a number of masks there. And I mean, uh, there was about, probably about 300 ladies and gentlemen yeah. doing yeah. masks. But at the same time, while these people were doing this, they were still importing. Now, surely, yeah. somewhere there's a problem. Because why are we importing things where we could actually create jobs 
and of course support our local economy it was strange for me to find that out because when we saw what happened i mean the first 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 month we can understand we didn't have enough surgical masks and as well as the ability to can create them but beyond the first month we should not be importing at that large scale and dependency one it was opportunistic the other part of it is it was a failure at leadership to actually do the local economic stimulation of doing an invest process of saying instead of going out to import let's actually create hubs for this particular uh, product what was required the most at the time was to create the necessary fabric requirement remember this mask are made out of a particular surgical fabric mm-hmm. what china did it, it was very smart when they they did their science and overlooked and and saw that there might be a shortage of surgical mask and requirements they imported a huge chunk of mask material just the rolls themselves from india a month or two before coronavirus hit them and this is fact by the way and then they brought it into the country from a government point of view in huge bales then when the um, uh, uh, sketch started to come up and the, the numbers were confirmed that they have a virus crisis within china they then started doing the overproduction of masks we have the same thing in south africa we could have had the ability to produce these masks most of them are home-based industries anyway it's sewing and knitting that required to be done and people could have earned valuable income as well as we could have ensured that we don't import so much of the masks and surgical masks that we brought into the country. But unfortunately, it was a missed opportunity. Nothing mm. was done out of it. And but, um, it's one of those issues. Leadership but, is critical in crisis times. Mm. And we didn't have much of a leadership existence. And I know people are emotional. They'll tell you, now, no, the president has been doing well and everything. The president as an individual is surrounded by a serious vacuum of people who are doers. If within the president's office we could find people who were stealing money for masks and enriching themselves, can you imagine the entire cabinet situation of what they were doing on their own account? So we have a serious issue in South Africa of leadership. Goodwill is not enough. We need action. We need action-based leadership. And we need forward thinkers who could perceive a situation and a scenario and start planning against that kind of a scenario. Most countries survived because they had a, a contingency planning done already their disaster management systems and agencies had already rehearsed before time an eventuality of any form of a disaster and in this case this was a disaster that should have already been mitigated properly and be should have actually been thought out so we're sitting with a situation where the economic collapse is on the basis that there was a lot of negligence where we could have saved ourselves we could have saved ourselves where we could not have saved ourselves, we could have accounted for it. But the current jobs, bloodbath, the economic decline, I mean, there's nobody flying into the country. We're still under a lockdown where international flights are on a grounded hold. It might open up, you know, end of this month. We're not yet sure. And the latest, the last I heard is about January, we will have a proper opened up borders, which might be too far and might be too late. And it's something that has to be thought out thoroughly to say is the necessary measures that we put into place much more sufficient to have kept the virus away. People have died in numbers. So did we do it right or we could have done it better? Those are the questions. But at the level where we are, we need serious leadership that can guide this economy, that can guide politically, that can guide at the social level, that can bring communities. I mean, even our our massages were ill-prepared. 
We didn't have people even in communities who knew how to intervene in cases of a crisis. We were all found in a crisis. We closed down everything, the masjids, we closed down the churches, we closed down the spiritual centers, and anything that could have given hope for people. Okay. It was all shut down, and we were not prepared enough to can assist. Adil, um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for tonight, but you know what? Uh, your, 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 what you said now has really stimulated a whole lot of interest in terms of solutions to our current situation. So if uh, if I can, you know, take the liberty to request that maybe I should have you on next week again, maybe for a longer period, so mm-hmm. that we can get into the, the meat of what you are saying. Uh, because I think people quite enjoyed what you were saying, just from the comments I'm getting. So Mr. Adil Nchabaleng, President of Transform RSA, shukran very much for your participation tonight. I know it was a bit short, but I think just look at it as an introduction to where we're going with this particular program. Shukran, shukran. and absolutely okay. much appreciation. Okay, shukran. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa The Leadership Hour. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to those listeners that are just joining us now after Ishai. Um, we just had Adil Nchabaleng on the line on the Leadership Hour and he spoke about the state of the South African economy and he has kindly agreed that next week we're going to have a bit of a longer talk for those people that were interested in the state of the South African economy. So, of course, on a more positive note, uh, we have... Uh, Online with us now is Hanifa uh, Jabba. Assalamu alaikum, Hanifa. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Shukran so much for having me. Am I saying it correctly? Is it Hanifa or Hanifa? It's a soft sound. It's just Hanifa. Okay, yeah. so I got that one, yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, so the soft one is more like the uh, the Puka version as opposed to the Rylands version. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Hanifa, uh, you are the in personal training. You are in fitness. You are in nutrition. You do life coaching. You are also a mualima and. Um, I see also on your profile hijabi. But what does that mean? Yeah, so it's um, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So hijabi would be a Muslim woman that just covers the hair and dress more modestly. Alhamdulillah for that. Now, Hanifa, I mean, since I've I've, I've known you for quite a few years now, and uh, you've always struck me as somebody who's trying to to motivate people. And uh, I was quite uh, um, awestruck by the fact that you've motivated so many women, especially in the, in the, on the Cape Flats, to actually get involved with better nutrition, fitness, and of course, you know, improving their the general well-being. Can you tell us a little bit about about it? Okay, so, um, you know, let me start with myself first. I was 101 kilos a good couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And then with that, um, you know, sparked a lot of things, you know, with being overweight, being obese, you're frustrated, you're depressed, low self-esteem, everything, the full package. Mm -hmm. And that's when I thought, I just need to make a change. I need to do something differently. And alhamdulillah, I took the necessary steps. And that's where the whole fitness journey started. And that's when I realized that Muslim women in particular 
are just neglected. They're neglecting themselves, first of all, because we are so busy taking care of everyone, our kids, our husbands, um, sisters, everything. And then when it, when it comes to us taking care of ourselves, we are so tired that we just don't take care of ourselves. And that's where we gain weight. Um, you know, our skin is not in order. We don't take care of our hair. Sometimes we leave the house and forget to brush our teeth because we live such a okay. fast that, life. That, that's a very fast life to brush, forget <laughs> to brush your teeth. But in any case, well, what I'm, yeah. I'm actually on about is that you've taken leadership, you know, I mean, and you've taken that very seriously. You've taken the lead to inspire women, to empower women. And uh, how many ladies do you have at this point in time that is, you, let's call them your regulars? Um, I think we're about the ones that just started training again. I mean, we had training during lockdown and everything, so it could be just over 50 ladies altogether. Mm-hmm. But there are, you know, um, some ladies that just don't, um, online don't gel with them. But if I should take all the UBF ladies altogether, it should be about 80 ladies. What is UBF? UBF is the brand that I've created. Okay. It's Ultra Boost Fitness. It's okay. a fitness group for women in hijab and niqab, but for women generally. Um, I just created the platform. So it's to uplift, enhance, and encourage you to become a better version of yourself. Mm. And uh, and of course, uh, and, and what age group? What, we, what age group are we talking about? All ages, all fitness levels. Yeah, I have... Um, Marshall, a beautiful lady in the cross, she's 70 years old, and she's right in front, and she's got as energy as, you know, mm. you would never say her age. And then I have someone as young as, I think, 17. Okay. You know what concerns me as, uh, you know, of course, when one wants to obviously take a leading role in society, then you must look the part. You must look like you, 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 you can't take the lead. You, you, you can't look like you're not taking care of yourself. Um, and I think that's probably what motivated me to uh, to get you on on air in, on the leadership hour, is because you've also uh, of, of you know discovered this you know that if you don't look after yourself you're not going to be motivated to take the lead in anything if you can't yeah. lead yourself. Yeah, most definitely. You know, um, that's where self love and self care comes in. Mm. You have to, you have to love yourself. Um, and sometimes people think, especially women, they think it's selfish if they have self love and self care. And that's why I always say, I have a routine: wake up early in the morning, wake up before everyone else, and that's where your self love and your self care takes place. When everyone is sleeping, that's the time when you do your beauty routine. You connect to Allah. You ask whatever you need. Um, because, I mean, we, we have so much needs. We have so many things that we want and need. And that's the time when you take your book out and you start writing things down. And um, Because as I go, if it's written down, you're achieve, more likely you'll achieve it in lip service. And, I mean, most of the time we just do lots of lip service. And, and the women that are involved with, 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 with your group, I mean, it's not just fitness, of course, it's mental wellness as well. How do you, uh, what programs do you have for people that are involved with this type of mental wellness? So um, we, I'm trying to create, Alhamdulillah, I was so um, successful for the past couple of years. So UBF is just trying to create um, an awareness about women, about themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, body, mind, and soul. So everything works in sync. You can't just 
focus on fitness and wanting to drop your fat percentage. But it's about your mental state and about your heart too. You can't um, drop everything and just try and be all healthy and fit, but then your heart is so polluted with jealousy or pride or anything else that, that goes with it. Yeah, and, and also I, I found that now during the COVID period, um, for the past five months, you've found that there has been a surge in divorces. Yeah. And, um, and of course, um, I'm not sure if it is amongst your ladies as well, but of course you get to speak to a lot of ladies. What is the primary cause of these people that now feel that they want to abandon the relationship? Sure, it's very, it's quite different. Um, some men take second wives, the husband, uh, yeah, the wives, um, you know, that just don't gel with them. Um, sometimes, you know, during this lockdown period, lots of people actually lost their jobs. They're just unemployed and, you know, they can't pay their bills. And because of that, frustration builds up. Um, unfortunately, in some cases, men just utter the words of Pollock and then they regret it afterwards. And, you know, you can't, you can't retrieve it. Mm. So, um, so yeah. So, so you think it's to do with with uh, with, with the finances? Um, but what's interesting, I mean, and asked, of course that's age old. You know, when people get do get divorced, you know, they must say when when uh, loves come in come by the, by the front door, then poverty takes that love out. You know, uh, by the I back door. That. I mean, we've yeah. all heard that. So, of course, that is. <laughs> but now, what's interesting in what you're saying now? Is you saying that men take second wives? Is this very common at this point in time, or has it always been common? Or <laughs> why? Why did you mention that specifically? Um, yeah, I think first of all, I think um, most of the time the whole topic, um, both women and men are not educated regarding mm. that topic, polygamy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think the men in, um, plays a vital role when they want to take another wife and we as women need to understand why all are made it permissible. So um, there's obviously goodness in everything um, and so with the polygamy also there's goodness in that also. It's just through our weakness sometimes we don't see, there's a veil over our eyes, so we don't see the goodness in it because Allah has khayr in everything. But the man also plays a vital role, you know, don't be skalem achtag and just, you know, behind the books and then afterwards the lady find out, oh my word, he's got children, they've got it otherwise, that is so not on. I mean, it's Okay, so, so, so let's just put that in what you're saying now into context. You're saying <laughs> there's a lot of situations where men have a wife and then they decide they're going to take another wife, but they don't actually discuss this issue with the first wife. They basically do it without a con- well I, I, there's obviously a school of thought that says that you don't need a consent but of course I think it, it's only decent and ethical to yes, inform the wife so I think are you saying there's still a lot of instances where men don't even inform the wife that they took that they took a second wife yeah there are still of those instances and I mean in today's life everything is open um, you can't say you're not you, you're not clued up with polygamy and the rules regarding that because it's vast. And I mean, you get you get a shekel everywhere on your WhatsApp nowadays. Everybody's got someone that they know that they can give advice. Mm-hmm. So I honestly think that um, there are certain steps. I think through men's weakness, um, they are maybe not following certain steps. But I also think through women's weakness, they're not seeing the goodness in that. 
Because let's face it, the older a man gets, the colder he gets. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I'm talking in character. Um, people, and the older lady gets, she needs the companionship. She wants someone constantly to be um, with her and around her. Um, so there is beauty, but, you know, it's just a very... Um, now, now and if, I, if I listen to you and you sound, you know, I mean, you speak like, you know, like somebody who's, who's quite prepared for this eventuality. You know, that's, of course, still very much foreign to a lot of our community, and that is of polygamy. But that's the, you educating the ladies, you know, to saying, listen, it can happen, but this is how you deal with it. Who's educating the men with regard to this type of thing? I mean, they're, I mean, they're not, it's obviously both parties need to be educated. Yes, of course, of course. Both parties need to be educated. It's not just, um, you know, I can afford and move and marry the, um, the second one because there are so many things that the first wife went through with her husband. Um, I mean, for, for argument's sake, I'll just use myself as an example. When I met um, my kid's father, I met him literally on a bicycle and he had absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we built an empire together and some that grew um, business and, you know, we bought properties and, how, and and cars and things like that. But um, the moment, and then during the marriage, you wanted um, a second wife. But yeah, I'm of the opinion you can have and all those things. I obviously supported that, but uh, he wasn't successful. But then when I went through a divorce, I went through a divorce and um, I walked out with null and void. Mm-hmm. So I think we as women need to also know our rights and where do we stand, you know, stand firm on your ground because I made that mistake and that's the advice I'm giving other women. Mm-hmm. You know, just don't let things slide just like that just because you don't want trouble. I mean, a bit of trouble is bigger sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now, Hanifa, look, I'm sorry that I now went down the direction of, of, of polygamy, but I do think it's a very relevant topic currently in our community, especially in light of the, of the, of the, of the, of the video clip we saw of a certain Molina. And, uh, of course, now we have an opportunity to speak to women that is, that's motivating other women. But, of course, at the same time, we, 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 need to, we need to have these hard conversations with women and with men. And uh, because this is a reality facing us all in, in, in society. I just recently had a, had a client who's been married to his wife for like almost like 40 years. And uh, she only found out uh, two years later that uh, her husband had in fact married another woman and she didn't know this until she saw the, the, the money disappearing of the, of the bond. Mm. So, so we, we, we see this and I think a lot of women have this idea that I am in a monogamous marriage mm. and there's no way they will know uh, that the, the husband got married to someone else and until, of course, the uh, the husband becomes negligent and and it gets discovered. So this is a hard conversation that we as a community need to have. Yeah. And and, um, and I see that um, the um, I think there's a few questions here. I mean, uh, and 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 I'm like I say. I mean, this was supposed to be really just about the motivation that you show other women. And I mean. But I do think, you know, sometimes we need to just divert because here's now lots of questions coming through pertaining to to, 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 to this polygamy thing. And says here, uh, Salam, I agree permission is not required, but the discussion on the matter is this would explain the very concept of Mashura. She is correct. 
if you fatwa shop enough, you will get a ruling that suits your needs or wants. I mean, that, is that correct? Do you, do you agree with that? If you fatwa shop yeah. around? Um, I mean, most people do that. Um, but I think, first of all, you first need to identify when you, when the, the couple, when they became, um, when, when they came in contact and they wanted to get married and all that, there was that level of communication. Mm-hmm. And there was that level of respect. And somehow through the years, brother and sister, you became. And then, you know, you live your life, I live my life, um, you know, and then things just went haywire, it went in the other direction. So, mm-hmm. yes, I totally agree. Like I said, Mashura has to be made. You have to sit down. I feel that the man needs to inform the wife. It's only polite. It's only decency. He doesn't need her permission. But I mean, two heads think better than one. He might be on a whole ramp on the ones to get married and support another family. The kids are small and whatever. Mm-hmm. And his wife might give him some other input and make him understand. And yes, I'm, I don't think any woman would be selfish um, if a man could support. I think someone else also mentioned the last time that um, her husband wasn't prepared to marry someone else. But what he done was he told her that she could buy groceries every month to a particular family. So he made it his wife. He gave it the role over to his wife to support another family. You don't really have to go and take a second wife if you honestly can't see to all of her needs. And it's not just financially. I mean, she's got emotional needs too. And sometimes the men don't understand that. Mm. I think uh, um, the, the, the whole issue of, in fact, have, there's not so many questions coming through pertaining to this, uh, to this particular polygamy topic. I think maybe we should have a whole program on the polygamy topic because it seems that um, that video clip obviously caused a whole lot of people to have this conversation. And of course, you know, one needs to have this conversation. It's a hard conversation because it could potentially affect every single couple out there. Um, People always think they're immune to this until it happens to them. So I think, uh, yeah, I I think uh, maybe on the next occasion, uh, Hanifa, we must have maybe, because you obviously have a lot of the inside track in respect of what happens in women's lives, because you don't only focus on the physical um, exercising, but also the mental exercising, the spiritual yeah. exercising. So, so, and also coming back, okay, so now, Hanifa, just quickly, how do women get to you? In other words, how do they contact you and uh, to maybe become part of this whole uh, revival of, uh, of women in terms of... Uh, looking at the health, the well-being, the spiritual well-being? I mean, how do they get hold of you? Um, they can contact me on my um, WhatsApp number, 078-038910. Um, yeah, and then they could phone me on 0786-58-1767. And then I just want to say, um, there's a famous saying that goes that girls compete and women um, empower each other. And I'm all for empowering women. So with mm. the UBF group, it's not just, like you said, it's not just fitness, but it's holistically. So I take care of everything. And with that, we started a um, women support group. Because maybe you don't want to do fitness, but maybe you've got such a lot on your plate and you just need some advice and some counseling and everything that comes with that. In fact, there's quite an interesting few questions. I'm going to read it. You don't have to answer it. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to read it nevertheless. It says, the one says, Salam, can the lady explain to us about the erectile dysfunction of males, which is so prevalent, 
and the first wife is already suffering, which the man thinks will rectify his problems. How do you deal with that? So you don't have to answer that. This is one question that came through. Other one is, um, Islam is not based on emotions when it comes to polygamy. That's another opinion that came through. And then... Um, there are so many other there's issues now pertaining to talaq and uh, idda, and of course when people can have, uh, you know, uh, when, when they can basically lie with one another again. So there's so many questions now. But now you see, Hanifa, we've now opened a bit of a can of worms. So mm. hopefully, inshallah, um, we will basically uh, have to deal with these issues again. Because as I say, you're in a very good position to understand the problems that women face out there, for women that are families, women that have husbands. And, um, of course, lawyers, we look at it from the legal aspects, but, of course, uh, you delve way deeper into the, into the emotional, the intellectual, the spiritual, and, of course, for that, we applaud you. Uh, once again, people are saying, uh, can the lady repeat the number, Kanala? In fact, she's three minutes of Rari Shaladang. So can you <laughs> read? And here they say, could Hanifa read the number slowly? Uh, okay. okay, go ahead. Um, it's 078-083-8910. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my WhatsApp number. And then you can call me on 0786-58-1767. And then I just want to give women advice. If you are going through some challenging times, then try to make peace with the position that Allah has placed you in. Because that comes from Allah. So the moment you make peace with it, and if it doesn't disturb or threaten your Iman or Islam, and it's something like really small, then you're not trying to make peace with it. Make a lot of sugar and make a lot of istighfar. But if on the other hand, um, it, you can't, you can't make peace with it. You know, and you need some change. And remember, happiness um, is not having the best of everything, but it is making the best of everything. So sometimes you have to go for a dip. I mean, I went down a dip. I had, alhamdulillah, a good life. Um, every day was payday. But when I got divorced, I went straight down, and I had to literally start from the beginning. I had to build myself up. But it was for me, by me. And it is so much more fulfilling. Mm, excellent. Hanifa, shukran very much. We really appreciate the input this evening. And inshallah, we are going to arrange another program on this issue and um, hopefully get a, um, an alim in as well to discuss the whole concept of polygamy. And I do believe that, uh, you know, it's a very, very uncomfortable topic that people don't want to discuss. And as a result, it can cause much grief because people do not understand it. And the approach that people take is completely contrary to what has been intended in terms of the Quran and Sunnah. So shukran for that very much, Hanifa. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam, shukran. The Leadership Hour.